This is Christy Drutman, and you are listening to Brown Girl Green, where I interview environmental leaders and advocates about the importance of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as creative solutions to the climate crisis. I'm working to change the image of what it means to be an environmentalist in the 21st century. I'm currently recording this podcast on Muncie Lenape land. This is your daily reminder that we are all living on stolen land. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Brown Girl Green. And today's discussion is going to be about the issue of deep seabed mining. This may be the first time you have ever heard of this topic or the phrase deep seabed mining. But today we are going to have an amazing guest, an expert with us, who is going to dive into the deep doo-doo that is deep seabed mining and what it means and where it's going. So I would love for our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, so my name is Dr. Diva Amon and I'm a Caribbean marine biologist and I focus on the little known habitats and animals of the deep ocean and how our actions are impacting them. And I work at this weird confluence of science, policy and communication And I also have a really deep desire to see much greater stewardship of the deep ocean, as well as engagement of a much broader group of humankind towards that effort. That's so beautiful. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your relationship with this topic of deep seabed mining? How did your research and background, um, you know, in the marine sciences lead you to, you know, exploring this issue? Sure. So I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, which is actually where I am right now. And, um, and I, I knew I loved the ocean, but I didn't really know that there could be a career out of it. And it wasn't until I went to university to study marine science that then I really learned about the deep sea before, you know, I knew about coral reefs and seagrass and mangroves and all the things that are close to shore, but, um, but never really what was out there. Right. Um, and, uh, And upon learning about the deep sea, I was like, wow, here's the opportunity to, you know, be a real life sort of explorer. Um, And I think at that time, I didn't understand that, you know, there's one thing about exploring for exploring sake, which has quite negative connotations associated with sometimes, right? And then there's, and then there's exploring to understand. And now I feel like I've really taken my career and my and my work to a place where it's not just exploring to understand but it's exploring to conserve and protect the deep sea and deep sea mining like really came up in like uh, I finished my PhD and um and during my PhD I remember being like I was studying whale falls so what happens to a whale when it dies and sinks into the deep sea and basically becomes like a feeding bonanza and I remember being like this is super cool but actually how is this helping anyone how is this you know, I want to do something that's going to create positive change. And, um, and after finishing my PhD, I got the opportunity to work on this postdoc at the University of Hawaii, which was actually on deep sea mining. And that was the, that was really the first time I started to engage earnestly in the topic. And what we were doing was we were actually working through the University of Hawaii for a deep sea bed mining company called UK Seabed Resources Limited that was conducting their environmental surveys in this area where seabed mining might occur. So they were trying to understand, which is something they have to do, what lives there, how does it live there, how does it function, and how might it be impacted by mining. So we were helping to make that, to get that science done, basically. And then that kind of spiraled, and it's from there, it was just kind of like history. And um, 
there was a lot of a lot of lessons learned during that time. So let's break it down for people who don't know a what the deep sea is and b what deep seabed mining is. So could you first define for us? You kind of started talking about, but can you define what is the deep sea? So the deep sea, we say as scientists, is everything from about two hundred meters depth. I'm sorry, I don't know the feet. Uh, like six hundred feet, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but everything from two hundred meters depth in the ocean down to the deepest point, which is just under eleven thousand meters or eleven kilometers. So it's actually like most of the ocean. It's about if the deep sea provides ninety six, so over ninety six percent of all the habitable space on Earth. It is the largest part of our planet, and yet we know very, very little about it. Wow. And so then what is this mining of said unknown abyss? <laughs> what is what is deep sea vent mining? Yeah, it sounds almost like science fiction, right? Um, it does. Yeah. So it, what deep sea mining is, is there have actually been a couple deep sea habitats that have been discovered where there are lots of metals and minerals found there. Um, and mining, deep sea mining is essentially going through the mining process, just as if you think about it on land, but in the ocean, deep in the ocean to get these minerals. So it can happen at three different places. So the first is um, for polymetallic nodules, which are these sort of cherry to potato sized lumps that sit on the seafloor between four and six kilometers depth, um, like cobbles on a street. And those have, mm. and so those, those are found in the abyssal zone of the deep sea. Um, and, the, and I mean, what, the area where deep sea bed mining might happen first, which is called the Clarion Clipton zone, is actually focused on polymetallic nodules. Um, so these are kind of the hottest commodity at the moment. Then there's also polymetallic sulfides, which are found at hydrothermal vents, which are these incredible deep sea habitats that weigh like super hot chemical rich fluid gushes out of the sea floor and they like power these amazing ecosystems where like life is found that is found nowhere else on earth. Like it's just, they're incredible. Um, and, uh, and then there are also um, cobalt rich ferromanganese crusts, which are found on seamounts. And so those are mountains at the bottom of the sea. And um, those seamounts tend to be sort of hot spots of biodiversity, we call them. And they have like, often they have like rainforests of the deep on them, we say. Um, and so that's like big corals, big sponges, and those big structures, big animals actually act like trees. So they have this three dimensional structure, right? Like branches almost. And that allows lots of other animals to live within them. And so it results in these places that are just full of life. Um, and so it's those three sort of ecosystems, deep sea ecosystems, where mining might occur. And currently they have that been... That is so sad. Yeah, what? I mean, and it's, and it's oh crazy, God. right? Because like most of yeah. the areas where... So they've already been 31 licenses granted for exploration in, for deep sea bed mining um, around the world. So in the Pacific, in the Atlantic, and in the Indian Ocean. And many of those... Um, we still have no idea what lives in them. So the licenses were granted for exploration before it was even known what was in those lice, what was living down there. 
And for many of them, we still can't answer that basic question, like what lives there? Much less questions like, well, how important is this area for the planet? Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake. So why are people doing this? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a couple different answers to that, depending on who you speak to, but, um, the main narrative that is being used is that metals are getting harder to come by on land. Um, right. and of course we use metals as part of our, you know, everyday lives, right? Like our cell phones, for instance, have like 60, more than 60 different types of metals in it, for instance. Um, yeah. but we also know that we need to move away from a, um, carbon based economy, right? So, um, yeah. there's now, there's now a lot of discussion that many of these metals like cobalt, like nickel, like copper are used currently in bat batteries. And of course, batteries are the key to an unlocking the green transition. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's the potential here. So th that's the narrative is that these metals are going to help to solve climate change, if you will. Um, I would right. argue, I don't think that's true, but we can get to that later on. Um, but I think, you know, depending on who else you spoke to, I think many would say that what's the reason for doing this is that there's greed. I mean, there's all kinds of different, different re narratives right. being peddled by different groups and, um, yeah, but what what as a as a deep sea scientist, what I find most concerning is that we are thinking about destroying places that we have no idea what's yeah. there or how important they are, and that just seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, the first time I learned about deep sea bed mining um, was you know learning about um, that we were running out of the minerals needed to make electric vehicles, vehicles. like to have them function. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like the solution to dealing with climate change, at mm. least from like a EVs. super capitalist, <laughs> capitalist exactly. consumerist mindset is yeah. uh, buy an electric vehicle, buy, yes. a, buy a Tesla, whatever. Um, and it's like, you know, that the issue is it's like now people are like, well, what do we do when we run out of those minerals? So then it was like that's when they're like, well, we're going to go explore and maybe mine deep down in the sea and yep. you're saying here as a scientist that like we don't even fully know what's down there but yeah it's already been approved of that's so insane yeah wow. it's pretty crazy um it seems like it feels like we haven't like humankind hasn't learned from past actions no. at all right until um, something just explodes and then yeah. they're like oops sorry another yeah. ecosystem demolished yeah. exactly uh, Wow, that's so wild. Okay, so okay, so you broke down what deep sea bed mining is for us, um, and, and that was like a great like start on it. Yeah, it just seems like this issue is going to have very significantly detrimental impacts to the environment. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. So the deep sea um, is, you know, it's massive, and that massive size means that it's incredibly important. It's a reservoir of biodiversity. Like there are thought to be, you know, as many as potentially a million species that live there, between 700,000 and a million species that live there. And most of them have never been discovered. But all of those species, all of that life is essential to basically providing ecosystem services that keep the planet habitable. I know that sounds like extreme, but they're directly responsible for keeping the planet habitable. And they do that in a bunch of different ways. 
so they, so for instance, the deep sea plays a key role in regulating climate by sequestering carbon and absorbing heat. We know that the deep sea plays a key role in providing fisheries to billions of people around the world. We know that the deep sea cycles nutrients. We know that the deep sea has, um, you know, provides like cultural value to a variety of people around the world from you know scientific research to education to spiritual significance like the deep sea even though it seems to not play a key role in our lives it does every day and we just don't realize it and for some and for some people around the world it plays an even more key role in their lives um and so what might happen from deep seabed mining is that there's the potential for significant damage to important and pristine or near pristine, as near pristine as possible on this planet, um, ecosystems across enormous scales that have, has never been seen before in the ocean. And it's gonna be a really destructive process. So we're gonna have a mining machine or many mining machines that move along the deep sea floor and they're going to damp, like basically mine the seafloor, right? So you're going to see destruction of the seafloor, which means um, biodiversity and all of the animals living on it, which means biodiversity loss and habitat degradation. And then whatever is ground up by that mining machine is going to be pumped to the surface, which is like four to six kilometers, depending on where you are in the world above. And and during that mining process, there's also, because the seafloor isn't just rock, for instance, if we're talking about where nodules are found, which is where mining might happen first, there's also really fine sediment. And so that sediment, of course, is going to be disturbed, right? Think about like like a combine harvester, right? Digging up the, sea, the, 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 like the soil. Um, and so that's going to create like a dust storm under the ocean, basically, mm. these huge plumes that are going to make the mining footprint, imp impact footprint, much bigger than just where the machine goes. And then whatever's pumped to the surface onto the ship is going to be dewatered. So the water is going to be removed from the, the minerals itself. And that water may have, you know, leftover metals in it. It could be of a different, it'll likely be a different temperature, a different chemistry. Oh. All of that is going to be pumped back into the ocean. And we don't know what depth that's going to be pumped back into the ocean, whether it's at the surface, whether it's halfway down, whether it's at the sea floor, that hasn't been decided yet. And in addition to all of that, right? So you're going to have pl that plume is also, that's going to be another plume. In addition to all of that, you've got light that obviously doesn't exist in the deep sea because the deep sea is, there's no sunlight down there. And so you're going to have light pollution and then there's going to be noise pollution on a scale that's never been seen before in the deep sea and sound travels really quickly and far in the deep sea so there was just a brand new study that came out a couple of weeks ago that shows that if there are 18 con if there are 18 mining contracts working in the ccz which is what they are currently licensed um there will be no part of the ccz which is a region the size of the us right that will be wow. that will escape from noise pollution no region no part of it so the protected areas won't be won't be protected from the noise like there will be nothing that will be able to get away from the noise in that region um and you know the, what is scary about deep seabed mining is that it's like what is the way it's happening right now and it hasn't started yet but the way these licenses are being granted 
really sort of have been in a really haphazard and unrestrained way and rapid way. So we've seen these 31 licenses. Some of them are the size of Sri Lanka, right? So these are huge areas. Um, and they're scattered around the world and they've been granted without knowing what's in them. And it means that the spatial footprint, so like the size of this impact could be massive. So just in the Clarion Clifton zone alone, the CCZ, if um, we calculated a couple months ago that the two dimensional impact, so if you were just thinking about the sea floor, that would be equal to the size of Spain, Portugal, France, Germany, and Belgium combined. What? Yes. And then if you, but of course the ocean is three dimensional, right? So you've got like all of the water. And so actually when you think about the three dimensional impact, we calculated that in the CCZ alone, just one area where there are mining contracts granted, exploration contracts granted, the impact would be 6 million kilometers cubed of ocean would be impacted. And so this is, again, this is like damage on a scale that has never been seen in the ocean. And Christy, what is scary about this damage is that this is the time, it's not just the size, but it's the time scale, scale of it all. So in the deep sea, life is super slow. Like super slow, like like scale, like a time scale that you and I are not used to, right? Um, so, for instance, we know that there are corals that live for four thousand years old, and there are sponges that live for eleven thousand years old, and we know that the deep sea, because of those, you know, everything taking a long time to reproduce, animals taking a long time to grow, and all of that, we know that the deep sea and deep sea life really doesn't deal well with change, doesn't deal well with impact. And so these impacts, which are going to be severe, we know the deep sea will not recover in these areas for a very long time. Like for instance, the nodules grow at a rate of, they form like a pearl, and they grow at a rate of one to 10 millimeters per million years. So wow. if you think about a nodule, it's like, I don't know, 10, 15 centimeters, right? That's taken like many, many millions of years to grow. And so it means that these ecosystems are not going to recover because those nodules are a key part of them, like corals, sponges, anemones, and all of these amazing deep sea animals that we know next to nothing about attach to these nodules. And if the nodules are removed, it's going to take them millions of years to regrow and then millions of years for life to colonize them again. So we're talking about like impact on an enormous scale, but also on a really long time scale. The damage would be in effect irreversible. And I think, you know, I know I've, I've, I've talked a lot, but I think what is, what is also concerning is like, it's not just that like, we're gonna lose life, like where the mining machine goes yeah. or all of that. It's that this is gonna happen on such a huge scale or it's, if it does happen, it, you know, it's these licenses have been granted that, Correct. that, we are looking at potentially impacts to the very services that make our planet habitable. Like right. we don't know how it's going to impact carbon sequestration, which is of course something we need more than ever, right? We don't know how this is going to impact, for instance, tuna fisheries, which are essential to Pacific communities and Pacific countries. Um, there are just so many huge questions that we can't answer. And, you know, there just hasn't been enough time to study these places, to understand these places and to make robust decisions about how we should move forward with right. this industry and whether we should move forward with this industry. 
Yeah, and you know, you shared a lot of great information there. I'm just processing it all. It was kind I'm of sorry, like, that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. Like, um, 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 like this is crazy. Like, because you were like starting, you know, at the beginning, you're talking about all these beautiful forests and these corals and these like magic. Like, I'm just picturing like you know, like Little Mermaid, like under the sea, and then it's just like getting bulldozed, like bombed, like you know. Anyways, it's just like that's what was. No, picturing. it's it's crazy, right? Um, and I I wanted to ask, like you were saying, like they're getting these licenses granted, which comes into the question around policy and regulation, and. Yeah. You know, you were saying that international waters or the deep sea transcends beyond just one country or one entity. So could yes, you tell yes. some of the, you know, policy nerds out listening to this, but also just people in general listening to this episode a little bit more on like, who's even regulating this? It just sounds like this really wild, wild goose chase of like people just 100%. running around and tossing things and just like, <laughs> let me throw a bomb here that... Anyways, it just sounds absolutely chaotic. So could you tell us a little bit more about that on how these licenses are even getting granted and who's even regulating this, if anything? So I, uh, so this is, the, I mean, anytime I tell anybody about this, they're like, what? What are you telling me? Like, how is this even happening? That's so happening how now. is this happening? Well, um, there is a UN, United Nations affiliated body called the International Seabed Authority. It's based here in the Caribbean, in Kingston, Jamaica. And it is responsible for managing all mineral related activities in international waters. So it's responsible for basically the sea, the minerals on the sea floor for, which is the majority of our planet. Um, and so far, they have granted 31 licenses for exploration, which are the first step before you get to exploitation. So no actual mining licenses have been granted yet. But um, the and there's a number of reasons for that. So one is that there still aren't the regulations in place to govern this emerging industry. So the, if we talk, think about the regulations generally, it's something that we, are, we call the mining code. And that means that it's everything. It's the exploration regulations, it's the exploitation regulations, it's all of these like standards and guidelines that go with annexes to sort of govern with all the specifics. But then there's other things like, you know, the, because this is international waters, it means that, as you said, it doesn't belong to any one state. It belongs to all states. It actually doesn't just belong to all states. It belongs to every person on the planet. It belongs to every person that is yet to come on the planet. It's something that we call the common heritage of mankind, or mm. humankind, I prefer. And so that means that we all have a really key stake in managing this place. Um, and so, so, so far there have been 31 licenses granted for exploration. And there are some key, still some key items missing from the regulations. Uh, they're still struggling to finish the exploitation regulations. There's, because this belongs to all of us and is the common heritage of humankind, it means that if mining does go forward, the proceeds of it have to be shared equally hmm. around the world. And that means that there has to be a mechanism put in place to 
divvy up the proceeds, right? And that's not an easy thing, considering we're talking about different countries. We're talking about different, um, some countries that have mining on land and might be impacted more. This, with the fact that we're talking about future generations, there's all kinds of things that come into play that you're like, how, do you, how does one even begin to do this? And that's been a major sticking point. Hmm. Another major sticking point is the environmental impact. So the ISA is not only meant to govern mining. That's one of their mandates. The other mandate is that they have, must ensure the protection of the marine environment. And so those two things kind of are at odds with each other, right? Like you can't mine and protect those. Yeah. Um, so, so an interesting conflict there. But then, you know, if you move away from the ISA, there's other issues like this is, we're talking about like kilometers down in the deep. And a lot of the technology is not yet made. A lot of the technology is not yet proven. And because of that, it means that, again, the science is really struggling. Like, deep sea science is still in its infancy. We've only been studying this part of the planet for, like, maybe a century. And it's not been, like, as, you know, it's not an easy place to work, right? Yeah. So it means that we don't have a lot of the science, we don't have a lot of the technology, and we don't have a lot of the regulations. Um, so there's still a lot that's happening. But, so this process, this has been happening for, like, 20, 25 years or more at the International Seabed Authority has actually just been pushed into like turbo, turbo mode. So last year, um, uh, I think it was June 2021, the Nauru, which is a Pacific country, they triggered this obscure rule that exists in the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And which is basically the framework that governs all of the ISA and everything and beyond. And so they triggered this, this very obscure rule, which basically says that from the triggering of that rule, there are two years to allow, there are two years given to allow the development of mining, the mining regulatory framework, right? The mining code. And if by the end of that two years, it is not in place, the ISA must consider an application, any application that is put forward for mining. So basically it's like, it's basically say giving a two year countdown to say, hey, you have two years to finish what you need to do and what has been going on for decades. And if you're not finished with it, we don't care. We're gonna submit a license, an application to mine, basically. What? Yeah, so, and what? that ends, that ends June, 2023. Okay. Right. So if we basically have less than a year until the end of that. And there are all those things that I just said that still have to be put into place. And it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Like that all of those things are put in place. But it now means that whereas mining was always like, you know, a decade away or whatever, it's been a decade away for decades. Now there's a very real chance that we're looking at mining beginning in the next year or two. And um, yeah, right. Like this is not this is not something that is going to happen in the future and we don't have to worry about it. No, this is happening now. And this next year is essential in determining whatever way this industry moves forward or if it moves forward at all. Wow. Yeah. That's that's mm -hmm. really intense. And yeah. um, 
you know, there's obviously people who are pushing for this whole thing. Obviously, we talked about the different intentions they may or may not have. And obviously, it seems like the pattern with humans and environmental impacts is that it's usually too late. And so I just, you know, I want to revisit the beginning of this conversation where you talked about how these minerals are even being used. And obviously, we talked about electric vehicles, and obviously there's also been discussion about these minerals going into like things like solar panels um, and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more about like, because I, I could just see the campaigns for promoting deep seabed mining as like, oh, but like if you want this eco solve climate change. Yeah, yeah. If you want to solve climate change and have this eco-friendly yeah. future with like renewable energy and electric vehicles, then like how are we going to get these minerals if we've run out of it? So. Yep. Can you dive into that? Because I'm sure people are going to like ask that question. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different narratives put forward for deep sea mining. One being, hey, this is going to help us to, you know, save the planet and solve climate change. The other one is that isn't it better to mine in the deep sea far away from like people um, than in, for instance, a rainforest or on land close to society? Um, and I would say that both of those are not valid arguments for lots of different reasons. Um, let's tackle the first one, climate change. So in my opinion, mining the deep sea to tackle climate change is like smoking to feel less stressed, basically, <laughs> right? Like, like you're like, you're, we're basically killing ourselves potentially. My major problem with that argument, apart from the fact that we don't yet know what the impact of mining is going to be on the ocean's ability to sequester carbon and be the world's largest carbon sink, but is that we the there's like a time difference, right, in when these metals would come to market for mining and when they're needed by. So it's going to take a while, even if the industry does begin in the next year or two, it's going to take a while for the industry to really get to that point where it's like generating a commercial production. Right. Yeah. And by the t and so that could take, you know, decades, if anything. And when we're when there are enough metals being generated to help with the source for many of these batteries. Um, and actually, we need the minerals now. Right. Because um, we need to deal with climate change now. So I think there's a time, there's a time difference there that's not entirely honest, in my opinion, that yeah. some of that advertising. But the but the other but the big thing for me is that, you know, have we like does it make sense to destroy a part of the planet to help save another? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, no. And instead of just thinking about like constantly consuming, which is what we humans do, right? We should be thinking more about how to transition to a circular economy, right. how to transition to a place where we don't have to destroy, you know, near pristine ecosystems to get things that we need, like pr things that we need for products, basically. Um, so so I think we're not thinking about this the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and and it really is like a testament to the fact that we don't seem to have learned much as well, at least decision makers don't seem to have learned much about how humankind should go forward. Just adding on to that, you know, with the circularity conversation, you know, I've talked about circular economy on my show before and on my on my platform. Um, but that has always been a question for me is like, what are the options available to 
recycle these minerals and be able to figure out how to like, you know, put them back into circulation to be used again. Um, and it seems like, you know, there are companies that are starting to catch on to recognize like, yeah, like part of our carbon footprint or how we're producing emissions is also like on the consumer level. It's like, what happens after that battery is dead? How do, what do we do with those solar panels after they, you know, get decommissioned? Um, and you know, that industry is starting to open up, but it's like, that needs to grow so much more dramatically, it seems like, in order to make up for the, this mineral consumption to put these products on the market. And that hasn't really been addressed as much. So it's like, it's kind of like people don't want to come up with these like innovations to address like, you know, mineral extraction. They just want to keep extracting and then extracting more yeah. because they ran out. Yeah. Is that and I think, and I forgot to make a really key point. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. And I, and the, the other key point about the time misstep, right, about the fact that many of these minerals won't come yeah. to market for, for decades is that yeah. battery technology is like growing leaps and bounds, right? The batteries just in the last 10 years have changed completely in chemistry. And so while right now we need cobalt and we need nickel and we need copper and all of these things for batteries, actually 10 years from now, we might not need any of it. Um, so. So I think it's it's really myopic to think about opening up a completely new frontier of extraction on this planet for a technology that may change completely in a very short space of time. And that innovation is like absolutely why, you know, for instance, major battery users like BMW, many, many like vehicle manufacturers, BMW, Volvo, um, loads, there's loads of them, have actually signed on to a statement saying that they will not source minerals from the deep sea until it is known whether this can proceed without having detrimental effects on the ocean and on the planet. So they, so also, the, you know, the downstream users of these metals are recognizing, hey, this doesn't sound like a good idea. And so it really is just a few entities that are pushing mm -hmm. this industry forward. And that is a couple of countries, that is a couple of private companies, um, it, but it really is a minority if we're talking about this in the grand scheme of things. But these conversations happen at the ISA and they happen largely in, a, um, in an echo chamber. And yeah, it just, there's, it's really hard for outside yeah. influence to get in. And let's jump back to the second myth about the fact that deep sea bed mining is better for people in general, because a lot of people say, well, there's frontline communities, um, you know, especially like on land that deal with like, you know, the dangers of mines and the pollution and the violence that comes with that. Um, so yeah, how do you address that on like, oh, this would actually be better for society from like a human rights standpoint and things like that? So there's a couple different ways to deal with this. Um, one is that deep sea mining is not gonna cancel out land-based mining it is likely that they're both going to continue at the at a pace, basically. So we're not only going to see that, like the fact that one is going to erase the other is not true. Yeah. And so what, so, and actually it's probably going to lower the cost of minerals from terrestrial mines, which is going to make conditions even worse wow. for those who work in terrestrial mines. Um, and so, so that is, let's start with that. That's just not true. We're actually just going to see the destruction of both on land and in the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that 
Sure, people may not live in the deep sea, um, but many people rely on the deep sea, and that is for livelihoods, economies, um, well-being. And so even though it may not be a dam collapse, for instance, which kills people, there will be potentially other detrimental impacts, like impacts to fisheries, which many communities and countries rely on, many people rely on. There may be impacts to, um, as we said, carbon sequestration, which again could have a global impact. Um, so it's not like working in the deep sea means that humans are not going to be impacted. That is absolutely not true. Um, and I think it also deprives, uh, given this is the common heritage of humankind, it actually deprives a lot of people from other benefits yeah. that can be gained from the deep sea, not just fisheries and carbon sequestration, but also things like, you know, the deep sea inspires, the deep sea entertains, the deep sea uh, has the potential to provide us with new medicine, to provide us with new innovative, like biomimicry, to, prov to provide us with like there's, there are just a, a number of things we can learn about life and that can lead to solutions to huge problems that humanity might face. But by mining the deep sea, we're essentially removing the, the, all of those benefits. In Trinidad and Tobago, I am currently the only deep sea biologist. In the Caribbean, I would say I am one of two or three wow. deep sea biologists. And that is, that is a pretty similar trend for many developing countries around the world. And so there is a huge part because of how expensive deep sea research and deep sea exploration is. And that means it's been largely in the hands of very rich countries, um, which are mostly developed countries or very rich people. And that means that a huge part of humanity hasn't had the chance to engage with the deep sea mm. and to you know, explore the deep sea and to see the deep sea. And, and it seems, and I am so passionate about this topic because I know what a privilege it is to work where I do. And I want more of humankind to be able to have those experiences. And by mining the deep sea, we are preventing people from having those experiences and engaging with the deep sea and falling in love with the deep sea. Like it just, there's still so much more that it has to give to humankind. Not that it should have to, but I think by mining it, we will lose those opportunities. No, thank you for bringing up both sides of it. It's like on one side, it's like, yes, the alarm bells are ringing. Like this stuff could start happening as soon as between one to three years, like very, very soon. Um, and, you know, the fact that we're taking that risk um, again on, you know, the planet, especially in a part of the world that like we don't have that much information about is especially risky when we know that oceans are you know, the largest carbon sink. That already, yeah. And so it's like- And also already stressed, right? Already like stressed. oceans already are dealing with like pollution, climate change, like they've got so much on their plate already. And yet we're like, yeah, let's just, let's just open up the largest, like, you know, extractive industry in the ocean. No, that's absolutely insane. And then on the other yeah. end, you know, you're also talking about so many opportunities for, yeah, education, research, um, connections to the natural world that like we haven't even explored as humanity yet. Absolutely. And we would just completely deprive yeah. ourselves of that by exploring this. So thank you for laying all of that out. I think that was so helpful. I think it also just like gives people this understanding that it's like, you know, we have to think about the system that created the conditions to make deep sea bed mining even a thing. And that is, you know, unfettered, 
consumerism and extraction of these minerals in the first place without any proper regulations for things like land mining um, and things like that and thinking about, you know, how do we extend, you know, the, the lifespan of these minerals and how do we recycle them and how do companies, how are companies who are benefiting from this extraction and profiting from these things, how are they being held accountable? So I think you gave us a lot to think about uh, when it comes to that. Um, so now I want to get into some action steps because I'm sure some people are, are going to feel pretty panicked. I know I do about what, what's going on. <laughs> Me too. Um, so could you explain a little bit more on, you know, for the people listening to this and this may be their first time they're hearing about it. This may be, maybe they have heard about it, but they're like, well, what, what can I do? Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I think there's, there's, you know, it's, it's hard, right? Because this is not like buy less, like use less plastic. Okay, this is hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, so, <laughs> so I think there's, there are a couple things that can be done. Um, but many of them are just not that sexy. The first thing I'd say about the deep sea is that because so few people know about deep sea mining, one of the best things we can do is spread the word. Right. So this podcast is brilliant. And everybody who listens to this podcast, go and tell someone, go and tell five people. Um, I think, you know, there is a common reaction to this kind of conversation of like, oh, my God, this is happening. This is real. Um, and with the more people that know about that, the better. So go and tell people about it. Um, also, get more informed. There are lots of great places to find out more information. So some key places are, you know, the IUCN, WWF, the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, um, Sustainable Ocean Alliance, the Oxygen Project. There are lots of great civil society organizations that are working on this issue and actively pushing back on this issue. And they have a huge amount of great information available out there to inform Greenpeace. You know, there are lots um, to help bring you up to speed on where things are at. And if you want to nerd out on this, there like delve into the policy side of things, delve into the um, who's behind all of this. Like it's totally fascinating um, in a very sad way, but <laughs> totally fascinating, very sad way. So that's the first thing, tell people, right? The second thing I'd say is that there needs to be that, well, telling people is gonna create that bottom up groundswell, right? Um, we, we have seen the impact that, for instance, um, like the fact that plastics have now become a key issue and that is as a result of people being concerned. That The same can probably happen about deep sea mining. If there's a critical mass of humanity that, or at least humanity in places where, um, where decision makers listen, um, if, they, if they are able to shout loud enough this issue can we can begin to turn the tide on this issue we saw recently at the un ocean conference in lisbon that i mean deep sea mining was mentioned every single day and there were states coming out against it there were organizations coming out against it it ended up being a pretty central theme and so it seems like you know the momentum is gathering and so that's great but the momentum really needs to gather at the international seabed authority in jamaica that is where the conversations are happening that is where the decisions are being made and if and if and if that, if, if we aren't able to take this kind of conversation there, then there isn't really hope. 
So it means that we need to basically have an impact on the people who are going to Kingston to negotiate on our behalf. So just like the UN, every or every country is meant to attend. Most don't, but um, countries attend and they speak on our behalf. They are representatives of our countries and of everyone who lives in them. So get them to listen you know, write to your delegates um, if you can and basically say that this is something that you're concerned about. And this time frame of a year, two years from now is not acceptable. Um, so it's really about, yeah, cool. getting the message to governments and getting the message from the ground up, right? Creating this huge number of people who know about this issue and who care about this issue. Um, and I think the last thing is, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a funder or you're a really rich person that wants to give money, I'd say the key areas are to, to help propel this, apart from supporting many civil society organizations who are working on this, um, is to fund innovation. So for instance, battery innovation, a key area, help, help with the circular economy, to make the circular economy a possible, even more of a possibility than it is already. And also fun science. Deep sea science is still, you know, leagues behind where it needs to be. We are trying, but there just aren't enough of us. There just aren't enough resources. There just isn't enough technology. Um, but we need that key understanding to know what we stand to lose. Um, and then, oh, and then one more thing is that there are a number of petitions out there. So the Sustainable Ocean Alliance and the Oxygen Project have a, have a key petition. Um, and only one, I think, is involved now as well. They have a key petition, sign that, get your get your voice heard. Um, and I think the SOA and the Oxygen Project also have, if you're a person under 35, a survey, which is basically trying to, it takes like three minutes, it's basically trying to um, get a sense of what the social license is for deep sea bed mining amongst young people. So is this something we know about? Is this something we care about? Is this something we wanna see happen? So if you can fill in that survey as well, because it's gonna provide a pretty key piece of evidence against why this industry isn't potentially gonna benefit everybody and not everybody wants it. No, that was- I don't know, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, this, this, I feel fantastic. Like, yeah. this is fantastic. No, I was also gonna plug the, the Sustainable Ocean Alliance and Oxygen Projects uh, petition and campaigns that they're continu continuously bringing up, especially for young people to get involved. Um, and also this, whole episode and project is in uh, support and partnership with the Sustainable Ocean Alliance. So they'll be plugged a lot in this episode and beyond. Um, but I would also say, you know, I really love the idea of contacting delegates. I don't think a lot of people, I didn't know you could do that. So I'm like, I need a list. Yeah. I'm like, I need to get some names. I'm like, no, it'd be great to like make a letter writing campaign. Um, you know, try to figure out if there's ways to like, you know, get more young people, especially involved in, in doing some of this letter writing, because I think something like that could build a lot of momentum to start figuring that out and being like, yeah. well, these are the people that are actually going to influence some of these discussions, because a lot of that's like, so inaccessible. Like, I didn't even know that something I didn't even think about that as like a strategy or thing until you brought it up. So, yeah, I think it's just like politics, right? Yeah. Like delegates, your ministers, well, your MPs, whoever. How right? people like even that, think about those that? are the people making our decisions. Like they're like yeah. these are like these weird abstract concepts, but I'm like these people make really big life changing decisions for the world. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, no, you literally laid out so many key steps. I don't have much else to add to that because I I'm just like I 
want to be spreading the word on this far and wide to as many people as possible, getting young people involved um, to make content also based on what they learned here, um, to talk about it, you know, across social media, in their classrooms, um, to get more people involved to, to make this, you know, general societal consensus that we should not be mining the deep sea. So I, I so appreciate you just like joining and dropping these gems of wisdom about a really horrible topic, but doing it with absolute so much grace and passion it really makes the conversation so much more um engaging it and shows how much you know this issue is so urgent and that so many people need to act on it asap so thank you so much i mean thank you as i said i have like followed you forever <laughs> on social media so when you got in touch i was like oh <laughs> but no i'm so glad that you've chosen to like take on this topic it is absolutely going to determine the fate of the ocean so thank you thank you thank you and please like do just continue the amazing work you're doing and i'm so looking forward to seeing as many people like as possible engage with this issue as and well. how can people you know learn more about you and your work and stay in touch if anything Sure. Yeah. So um, you can either get in touch via my IG, which is my name, Diva underscore Amon, my Twitter, which is Diva Amon, or my website, which is DivaAmon.com. So please like, feel free to reach out. Um, I try to get back to everybody, but sometimes don't manage to. You know about that, Christina. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but yes, there's, there's, like, there's a lot of great ocean and deep sea content on all of my profiles. So feel free to follow and um, follow along. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Diva. And thank you, everyone, for joining in on this episode of Brown Girl Green, where we dived into the deep doo-doo that is deep seabed mining that we don't really want to go into as humanity. Um, and thank you so much to the Sustainable Ocean Alliance um, for uh, being a major partner on making this episode and project happen to talk about this topic and to inform, inspire people around the world to take action. Thank you so much for joining Brown Girl Green. Make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast that you can get on all listening platforms. Thank you. Yeah.